Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad that you have made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and my co-host and co-producer is Melissa Stanton-Adams, who is the president and executive director of the Stanton-Adams Diversity Institute. Welcome, Melissa. So glad that you're here, Melissa. We're having technical difficulties today. Sorry about no, that. No, I was there we go. You. That was that was a human error. Ah, good, good. So good. We've been having fun this morning already, ramping up for today's show. So good morning, Melissa. I'm so glad you're here. Good morning, Lori. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're going to be talking. It's the first uh, Saturday of the month, so we talk about racial healing. Yes. And we've got we've been doing this uh, for the year. We've been going through the book, The Racial Healing Handbook, and it's by Dr. Annalise Singh, and it has all kinds of wonderful practical activities to help challenge privilege, confront systemic racism, and engage in collective healing. And part of the work that we're doing is on radio, and part of the work that we're doing is working with a webinar series that you've developed, right? Yes. We've actually had folks uh, in a series of four workshops. We're on our third workshop. And it's been really interesting to have these conversations. It's called Racial Healing Dialogue Series. And it's really less of a training and more of an opportunity to, for people to get together and talk with and make connections. And we had encouraged all of the folks that were part of that group to call in today um, but we've had some technical difficulties with our call-ins. So what we'd like to do is we still want to hear your voice, even though we can't hear it literally. But we'd like to have folks, whether you're part of the racial healing uh, work group or you're hearing what we're having to, hear, to say today, to uh, either give us a message on Facebook and you can go to the Connections Radio Show on Facebook and put your questions or your comments or you can go to my email, which is really simple, fitz, F-I-T-Z, radio at gmail.com. And we've got folks that are going to be watching both the Facebook and my email uh, to help, you know, get get your thoughts. And, and Melissa and I will voice those thoughts on the radio and talk about them today. So I'm sorry that you're not going to be able to call in. Uh, when Melissa and I get together again, we will have the opportunity to have the call-ins and you can hear the voices. But you'll at least hear comments and ideas from the folks who've been going through the the series of webinars um, and and, and, and as Melissa said, it's not really a workshop where you go to teach. It's a workshop where we come and collectively share our journey. And this is part of sharing the journey. And what we plan to talk about today is looking at grief. Uh, on April 20th, the jury announced that it had reached a verdict and Chauvin was found guilty on all three counts becoming the first white Minnesota police officer to be convicted of murdering a black person. And Melissa and I have talked about how even though that occurred, there's still a grieving. There's still a, a hole that's there. Um, tell, us, tell us what you think about that, Melissa, what, what you've been processing in terms of the George Floyd, uh, you know, the whole trajectory of George yeah. Floyd, but recently... Well, Looking back it's at been a, it's go ahead. been quite a few it's been quite a few years, hasn't it? It it has been so we started with COVID nineteen. 
Mm-hmm. And we, you know, I heard on a radio on, on Associated Press yesterday that America has lost the most people in the world to COVID. Six hundred thousand. Yeah, that's that's over half a million people. Then you go and now you think about that's a lot of people to grieve, mm. right? You know how many people are, were attached to that six hundred thousand? They had family members that are grieving and disproportionately so, hit people of color, right, right? Yeah, you you if you did the math on that, what would that be? How it it would be a probably two million. Right, right, with the connections. Yeah, yeah. Right. So then thinking about those connections. Then when we got um, to to Memorial Day and we saw a little bit of a lift on our COVID-19 ban that our governor had put in place, we saw the murder of George Floyd happen on television. Right. And when black people and people of color and BIPOC people and anyone sees a traumatic experience like that on television, but specifically people who have been experiencing that sees that on television, it re-traumatizes them mm. and puts Good them point. in a space of right grief. Then we saw um, the civil unrest, and then we saw the storming of the Capitol. We saw the, the nonsense that came out of the election where I remember the 2016 election People were, um, the day after when we found out who our president was, there was a lot of grief. So for four years, people were going through the stages of grief. And then we come to today. Look at all of the things that have happened. We just recently are now talking about the death of Dante Wright and this um, 14 or 16 year old girls who was who was killed and we continue to hear these names of people who are being killed and we continue to go through this grief right so i thought that annalise sings chapter on grieving racism grieving and racism i thought it was pretty apropos what is your thought in terms of how grief may be able to provide a deeper access in understanding racism, I think I think that's a great point, right? Because as we think about it, grief. First of all, we have to think about where does that grief come from, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can can look at it and say, "I'm grieving and and losing this, this and feeling this pain," but you also are learning. You're learning to recognize your body's emotions and feelings, and you're learning that there's something that you're not comfortable with. So what are you going to do about it? I think also there's a part of allowing ourselves to grieve and that yes. we push back on grieving thinking that we, we either we don't want to because it hurts and so you push it away, or the grief is so large you're afraid of opening it up, um, but grief allows change to happen. Grief allows, you know, the stages of grief, which we'll get into in, in um, some further segments, allows us to process it. And if we never allow ourselves to grieve about um, how racism hurts everyone and how we are hurt by racism, um, 
we're denying that opportunity to heal. Yes. But, and we need that. But it, it's scary to get in touch with our feelings in general. People you know, if they're happy feelings, it's not hard to get in touch with. But, but when we're having really challenging, you know, tough, down to our core, how do we feel about this? Um, there, there's a lot of social and cultural norms around what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and what we've been taught growing up about um, what it means to grieve and is it okay to grieve. Yeah. And I think part of it, too, is thinking about racism and grief is kind of weird. You don't you don't really put those two together. But um, when it comes to the losses you experience because of racism, it's important to grieve that you lose relationships, you lose connections, you lose friendships, you lose knowledge, you lose you lose access. And that's for whites and blacks. And Asians and Hispanics, if you're not making connections with people from other races, you are losing out. But there are differences culturally on grief, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yes, it is. I know that um, I, when I was younger, I really was into the Bible and would read the Bible a lot. And I remember um, reading that in the Bible that, a father lost his son. His son died. And the way he expressed his grief was for him to wail and tear his clothes. Mm-hmm. Like to, to, to rip his clothes off of himself. Mm-hmm. Right? And, can, and if you just close your eyes and imagine a father wailing like that and ripping his clothes to shreds, is, is that a way to grieve or what? Like that's an expression of grief right there. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I just don't think our society today allows for that kind of deep emotional no. response. I mean, I, I, no. re- I remember growing up and, you know, all the kids in our family were told, like, you know, don't cry. You know, you, you, you've got to be brave. You've got to be strong. And, and so don't don't do that. You know, you you've got to get over it. And, and it's a yeah, it's the sense of like if you you're you are strong if you don't show emotions. And I yes. think that that stunts actually strength. Yeah. Um, it, it, it hides it and it buries it so that it, it never gets to be released and it's always there at some level. Yeah. I remember when I was a little girl, my grandmother died. My father's mother, he loved his mother so, so, so much. He was the oldest boy. So he, you know, he, he became the man of the house after a while, after my grandmother and my grandfather got divorced after the war. And when my grandmother died, my father did not know how to express his grief because all his life he was told that men don't cry. And it was very, I remember him talking about how difficult it was. He said, I'm not supposed to cry. I'm not supposed to cry. And we had to kind of sit down and have a really deep conversation with him to help him understand that he needed to express his grief this way. Otherwise, he could express it in other ways that could be harmful to himself. And I think in our Twin Cities, getting back to the George Floyd murder, we as a community are still grieving and trying to name what that grief is. 
and 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 later in the show we're going to be going through the stages of grief and applying them to racism. Um, we're also going to in our next segment look at naming the grief. What does the grief look like? Um, a little bit more about maybe how we were all taught. Uh, Melissa and I just shared a little bit about our own experiences in growing up, but we'd love to hear from you all about what your experience was in, in grieving and growing up and what was acceptable and what wasn't it. And and how is this loss in in and grieving um, impacting our greater vision of um, anti-racism? So these are all big, big subjects, um, a lot of feeling, a lot of impact. We do have someone from our group who has uh, shared uh, his thoughts that we're going to we'll open it up with in our next segment. Our friend, our friend Kent Hunnell. Um, has some great insight about heritage is not history. So we'll we'll share that at the beginning of our next segment. We encourage folks to either, again, go to the Facebook uh, Connections radio show and give us a thought or a statement or a question. Or you can send uh, the email to fitzradio at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us in this conversation as we explore how grief and racism um, are intertwined and dealing with grief and dealing with racism helps us heal and move forward. So thanks for being with us today. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And my co-host and co-producer is Melissa Stanton-Adams, who is the president and executive director of the Stanton-Adams Diversity Institute. Hey, Melissa, it's the first Saturday of the month, and it's time for us to explore and discuss and encourage racial healing. Yes. And, you know, I was thinking about the whole idea of grief and why it comes about, right? Mm -hmm. And... It's the the whole idea of racial healing, right? And healing from racism is not just about what you know or what you do, but it's also about what you feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have been doing this uh, based on a conversation we had last fall in looking at the handbook, the Racial Healing Handbook by Dr. Annalise Singh, which we highly recommend, uh, has wonderful activities, um, ultimately to help support a collective healing. And Melissa's also been uh, inspiring a group that has been joining um, for two sessions looking at racial healing. And the chapter that we're dealing with this week is grief or grieve and name racism. And I wanted to share uh, Kent Honnell's uh, reaction uh, to what we've been sharing so far. Uh, And he Mm -hmm. shares, thanks for the opportunity to chime in. Just before the program, I heard another radio program that pointed out the distinction between heritage and history. It seems like clinging to heritage is a way to shield ourselves from the grief we are confronted with. If we really look at our history, our reluctance to do the grieving keeps us stuck in a place where there can be no real progress. It only perpetuates the status quo. And then he uh, followed up by saying, I'm realizing that grieving needs to happen for people harmed by my ancestors' actions, as well as grieving for my own attachment to heritage, not history. Yes, 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 yes. That's 
he put it so beautifully. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think he, he the point, I'm sorry, Lori, the point that I like that he made is that he has to grieve, too. Yep. He's not just saying, oh, I'm grieving for my, my black brothers and sisters. He has to do some grieving for himself, and I'm so proud of him for saying, I'm going to grieve as well. It is, it, it, I think that was my aha moment as I've been um, working on this chapter with you, Melissa, is the deeper idea that I, in my past looking at grieving about racism, it it had an element of, I'm sorry this has happened to others. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. sorry that my ancestry was part of hurting your ancestry. And because of that, you know, there's been a systemic racism and institutionalized racism that we need to look at and change. But it was always about, I need to correct in some way. And um, I haven't been harmed. I've been given all these privileges. Now, it's true that I've been given privileges, mm-hmm. but I've also been hurt. I've been hurt yes. because I have not been able to have the rich connections and a, and be able to celebrate with you uh, on equal footing um, and right. and that that right. and I have to recognize that my ancestors uh, were part of uh, a dehumanizing uh, uh, I, I all I can put is is, is it, it's not it's dehumanizing and it's actually a violence a violence occurred that has to be corrected. And you know, Lori, what you just did, I think hopefully our listeners of color are um, also feeling what I'm feeling, which is like this hopefulness, yeah, this joy, because I always tell people the best way to get over our challenges around racism is to, one, acknowledge, which is what Lori Fitz just did. She acknowledged that there is a system in place that is holding people of color, BIPOC people back. Um, and then validate my feelings. She's validating that these things are bad, that it, it's hurtful, and that it harmed my people. And then she did it in a compassionate way. She didn't say, well, all right, you, you people have problems, and, and, and maybe my people might have had something to do with it. No, she was very compassionate about the way she expressed it. If you can acknowledge and validate racism in a compassionate way, you're making a step towards changing our future. Well, I think it's also a step in recognizing that even in the compassion of grieving for racism for others, it still creates an us and them. And so how, how do you break down the us and them and go, we're all hurt here? And we got to do something about it, you know, and what are our actions? What voice can we give now that we recognize what's the next step in giving voice? And and I believe in sharing stories and having a sense of connectedness through story, uh, we begin to heal and we begin to feel the us. We begin to feel the connection and we move out of the isolation. And just real quick, I'd just like to say, some things about how racism harms white people. We know racism harms people of color in a very hard way. People are are being um, killed in the streets by by police officers and civilians. 
Um, people are being attacked on a regular basis. But how does racism harm white people? How do white people experience grief and loss related to racism? Here are a few examples. Feeling guilty that you were taught in implicit and or explicit ways that you were better than people of color. Feeling guilty about making a racist comment. Feeling afraid to make a mistake when it comes to racism. Feeling angry that you have to work on your racism. Minimizing the dominant role and related privilege that you have in racism. Fearing challenging another white person's racist attitudes, thoughts, or behaviors. Going back and forth about whether you can use your white privilege to make social change. And being so angry about an incident of racism that you get stuck in that anger and don't actually take action to challenge it. Wow, that's a continuum. <laughs> To spend another radio yeah. show on. <laughs> I mean, that's and let's continue that conversation and, and let's bring those points up again um, as we look at the stages of grief in racism, yes. because I, I do think that even you and I in the last uh, session when we were talking about the different feelings that we had, you know, I was in the anger stage and you were in the depression stage, but I don't think we named it that way. Um, right. How do we start looking at the different stages? And and I think I've been guilty in the past of just being angry but not knowing what to do. Um, yes. And if you're angry, you're still in some of the early stages of grieving. How do you get to the point where you're accepting um, the world and you you create a plan of action of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it? And, and and be able to be brave enough in your brave space that you like to create. We'll talk about brave space also in the next segment. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily safe space that we go into, but we go into a brave space uh, to make a difference. So stay with us. We'll be, um, we'll be talking about the stages of grief and how that relates to racism in our next segment. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to having you come back in just a few minutes. To Connections Radio Show. I'm so glad that you joined us and are with us on our Connections journey. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and my co-host and co-producer is Melissa Stanton Adams. She is the president and executive director of the Stanton Adams Diversity Institute. And today we're talking about grieving and naming racism in that grief. Melissa, I know that you've had a chance to go down to uh, the corner by the Cup food store where there is so much community collective uh, remembrance and and a sense of sacredness when you go there. But there's also grieving. When I've been there, there's a sense of um, getting in touch with that grief. And yes, go for it. It's the the site where George Floyd was uh, killed by Derek Chauvin, uh, former officer Derek Chauvin, and it has been memorialized. They call it George Floyd Square now, and it is a square. It's about one, two, three, four, four blocks have been kind of blocked off on that corner, so you can't even drive through there. When you go in that area, as soon as you step foot on the ground, you can feel the energy of the crowd 
And every time I've gone down there, it has been crowded. It has been jam-packed with people memorializing and just, you know, just walking around and looking at the artwork, finding ways to pay homage to George Floyd um, and to all of those who've lost their life due to police violence. And there's something about grieving and grieving collectively. I mean, there's a reason why we have memorial services. You know, we need to come together and and be in community. Um, With George Floyd's murder, it feels like we're still in that memorial service. You know, we're still trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what does this mean and and how how are we going to be different with each other? And, you know, I was so moved by his daughter and, and the new artwork that went up. Um, at the square with, you know, daddy's going to change the world. I mean, that's the hope that you were talking about in the last segment. I mean, how can we hope to see something different out of this? How has something that happened in Minneapolis impacting a global? And, And as we grieve, you know, how might we be able to encourage more of the world for us to all grieve together, to keep having that time out to go, what does this mean? What what change can happen because of it? Right. Well, we talked about uh, doing the stages of grief and applying them to racism. And so, Melissa, I'd love yeah. to have you share, um, as I go through each of these, how each of the stages of, of grief, which I'm sure folks have heard of, it was a first initiated in terms of looking at being diagnosed with cancer, uh, looking at those stages as well as uh, accepting those who have, who have passed. Um, and the stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Melissa, share with us how denial, and we, we've sort of hinted at it, but help us um, more clearly understand how denial is the first stage of grieving and how that applies to racism. Well, denial and racism can look like uh, white folks enacting white supremacy by telling people of color that they're making a big deal about racism. Mm -hmm. Don't make a big fuss. And, you know, I always tell people each of us is an expert in our own life experience. So if I come to you and I say, hey, I think I just experienced racism, and I'm a black person and I'm telling this to you as a white person, it's important for you to believe me. Uh, Jane Elliott said, white people don't believe that racism is happening because it's not happening to them. And they haven't been impacted by it. Right. Or just simply that, well, I haven't experienced racism, so the world must not be a racist place. Well, and, and or that happened so many years. That was four hundred years ago. We can't keep reliving the past. Um, right. I, I, my my ancestors has nothing to do with who I am today. So you know why why do we worry about that? Is part of the the larger denial. But even in the denial, there's some grief, isn't there? Yeah, and I think part of the challenge is that people think that denial is bad. But the denial stage in grief can help you prepare for the emotions to come. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not saying that denial or um, denial of grief related to racism is good or that you should try to hang out in a denial No, space. no, but it, it's seen the opportunity. 
you know, yeah, that there's an opportunity to to help people get to the next level if they are in that denial and not just dismiss them and and expect that they'll never get it since they're in the denial stage. But just be able to recognize, oh, they're in the denial stage. Um, Or just for yourself to think of it as a pause that allows you to begin healing from loss Mm -hmm. once enough time has passed for you to begin processing and understanding um, what you've experienced, you potentially will move to the next level. And the next level is anger. And you well, meant- we all are angry about racism. Yeah, well, right? And you mentioned that even in the last segment about how it can also be an escape mechanism. If you're just angry, but you're not doing anything about it, you know, then you've right. just, you just stayed in the anger stage. And then when it, when you're in that anger stage, you feel pissed off and upset. You know, you're frustrated and irritable about racism. And anger can also be expressed in subtle ways that can mimic the denial stage, which is super important. Like feeling irritable and frustrated, but ignoring these emotions or feelings or feeling confused about why you're feeling that way. But anger, when, it, when you really think about it, is um, an opportunity to say, wait a minute, something's wrong here, and I think we need to do something about it. So we have to take a stop and say, and a stop and look approach, mm-hmm. right? Why am I angry? And what is that, what's underneath it? Right. And we might get angry at one thing, but realize, no, we're really angry about uh, something else. And it goes back, I think, to even what Kent was saying earlier about are are we angry perhaps at our heritage for having this happen and and how do we sort through it now? What do we, you know? Yeah. And then you have to be careful, right? You don't want to get so angry that it over it overtakes you. Right. Right. And I think you need to do something with those feelings of anger. You can journal, you can um, do art, you can um, write a book or write a story or interact with other people who are in the community who are doing work towards that justice that you're seeking. Especially, I think connection, Um, I mean, I know it's Connections Radio Show, but there is something really important that you take your anger because anger can be isolating and and find ways to connect. What is, what is Yes, with others. Yeah, what can we do? Because I think the the access point of anger is something ha- you have to be moved to do something. It, it's al- alerting you that something has to change. Yes. There is something amiss. So you can yeah. either stay in this frustrated state or you're going to do something. And there was this old movie. We, we, I remember this movie. I forgot what it was, but it was about this um, anchor who had decided to change. He was a television anchor. Yes, I'm mad his, as hell. his line was, and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And that is when when anger turns to action. It is beautiful to take that power and And, energy. And that action, though, can then be a realization of what can I do? So you start to bargain. Right. Okay, all right. And Yeah. Well, bargaining is interesting, too. And and when we're bargaining with racism, it's that um, what if I had done something differently? Yeah. Right. What if I would have said this? What if I would have said that? Um, it's also a little bit of, did you just say that? Yes. No, you didn't just say that. Yeah. He didn't just say that. I think it's, it's also a place, we were talking earlier about how humor, you know, 
it, the bargaining stage can open you up to like seeing two weird things not supposed to be yes. together and you start to find humor and and uh, discomfort in that. Like, wait a minute. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Lori, we were saying I, I was telling you that humor, we got to bring some humor into our lives, even as around this conversation of racism, to bring some levity to it. And bargaining is definitely a place where you could say, no. You remember they used to say, oh, no, you didn't. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't just say that. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but you can do that bargaining and you can do that humor when you've established the connection, when you've established a relationship, I think. Yes. I think that, that makes a lot of sense, Lori. You're yeah, right. Because yeah. if I can bring some levity to it and, and make it a teachable moment because we're friends, you might take it differently than if I say something and you're not as close to me or we don't right. have that trust. Right. But we also know that moving out of bargaining, if we see that nothing is happening, that even though we've tried to do action, we can go into a depression or we can feel overwhelmed. That And I think bargaining, if, if you see that bargaining happening and you realize, no, that was racist. Yeah. It takes you into that stage of depression. Yeah. And recognizing that sometimes you need to take uh, a moment and pause and that depression allows us to get in touch with um, the depth of the pain. And, yes. And, and that's, that's where the, yeah, that's where the crux of it is, you know, as we are on this journey um, and as you the stages of grief progress, you're able to feel more and more vulnerable emotions. And these are the emotions that are emotions that are underneath the denial, the anger and the bargaining. And I think in depression, in a, and again, people sometimes, you know, make depression bad and like, just like they make grieving bad. But depression, yeah. I think, allows us to center ourselves and find our authentic self so that when we move out of the depression, we have you know, searched our soul and we've got our authentic uh, reaction that in that acceptance, more of who we are can be voiced because we, we have taken that journey inward and we've, we've found the pain. We've confronted the pain and we've accepted that we will have this pain in our life, but we, we are compelled to accept and do something more and, and use our voice yeah. in different ways. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, as we compare with the um, grief, the five stages of grief, and we think about this and it, as it relates to racism, it's different. Because if you have someone that you love that passes away or even if you lose a job or something, these things are like single loss related, right? But with the the permanence and systemic nature of racism, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to see that racism will end, right? Yeah. And when you get in that stage, that is when it's important for you to reach out yes. and remember to connect with people who can remind you that there is hope and that there is healing from racism and that it's a journey. And we're going to make that our final thought for this segment. And in our next segment, we'll talk about uh, what can be our role. And as we've looked at going through the stages, how do we name what stage of grief we may be in? And 
what we want to do to move forward. So thank you for joining us, and we'll continue our discussion in just a few minutes, and we'll continue the journey then. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. So glad that you joined us today as we've been exploring grieving and racism. And we've been doing it with my co-host and co-producer, Melissa Stanton-Adams, who's the president and the executive director of the Stanton-Adams Diversity Institute. And we've been going through the Racial Healing Handbook with ourselves, uh, our friends, uh, our work, uh, the, a work group that Melissa's got going in her Diversity Institute, and, and with you who've joined us today. So thank you for being a part of that. And this week we've been talking about grieving and naming racism. And it prepares us for when we do our next program. Uh, our next, the first of the month, is going to be on um, raise your race consciousness. And and I believe that understanding the grief process positions us to learn how to do things that help us claim our anti-racist identity. We can say that we're anti-racist, but what are we doing about it? And how we've learned about racial history means how it has impacted our life. And in so doing, we're really learning how to connect with others. So in, in finishing up our, our session today and looking at grief, what's the big takeaways um, that you feel that, that our, our community would, would be good to be thinking about uh, before we go into our, our next session next, the first, week, the first Saturday of the month, um, and looking at um, raising our consciousness and doing something? But what do we... What, what are some nuggets, uh, Melissa, that you think that we should be thinking about in understanding our grief process and racism? Well, I think, I think that fifth stage of acceptance is the important one. It was hard for me to think about um, this stage. But according to Annalise Singh, she says, this stage is so powerful to explore when it comes to racial healing. When you accept that racism as a system and structure isn't going away, you can also move into action beyond this acceptance. You can design your new normal and as being a freedom fighter, either as a white person or a person of color. You can interrogate all you've been taught about the world as you explored in these um, sessions with Lori and I. And you can create new intentions for your journey in healing from racism. It's interesting when you just shared that, I had this sense of how is guilt and grief somehow intertwined? You know, how how do we work through, you know, is there the sense of ancestral grief that's really tied to feeling about um, ancestral guilt, you know? being able to embrace mm-hmm. our ancestry of who we are, but also deal with yeah. um, the generational uh, challenge that's we come down. We have to accept it. Yeah. We have to accept that our ancestors made poor decisions, right? We have to accept that, mm-hmm. and we have to move forward from there. But first, let's acknowledge it, validate people's feelings around this, and do it in a compassionate way. And redefining roles, redefining roles of um, the traditional 
and and questioning in the traditional. When you you share about you know being able to investigate, being able to look at things differently, being able to take in things differently. You know, we reviewed mm-hmm. how history may have given us one version, but being our own Sherlock Holmes in terms of discovering. Right. Were there other aspects that I didn't get in in class? Right. Like, I, mean, I was amazed like that Tulsa's you know, Black exactly. Wall Street, for example. How how that was not taught. I mean, this was a massacre. This was three hundred right. people. That's why it wasn't taught, right? Yeah. So and, but and we have to do our own investigations. Right. And 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 discover history in a new way. Um, yes. And beyond what maybe our family said, beyond what our school said, beyond what our friends said, how do we experience it now with our own, um, not looking at it uh, in denial and being able to be more clear-eyed than just anger, that anger gets us going, um, but being able to work through stages of grief as we even investigate our history. Exactly. But, you know, the most important part of this conversation that we're having, Lori, is that a lot of people after the murder of George Floyd and all of the civil unrest, they decided to do book clubs and they had movie clubs and they had listening sessions. And I am not knocking any of that. I believe all, good. all of those all things good. are great. Yep. All good. I'm glad people are doing that work. But people need to feel the emotion, we're, we're intellectualizing racism. Mm-hmm. I need to see statistics, Melissa. Show me proof that racism exists. We're intellectualizing it. Yeah. People need to feel the feelings. If you're a white person and you feel guilt, it's okay. Feel that feeling. Get connected with that feeling and understand why am I feeling this guilt. And if you're feeling guilt based on some history, that's a good thing. Some people don't have that emotion. Right? They don't have the empathy muscle. So it's important for us to start flexing that empathy muscle as much as we can and have empathy for yourself. You uh, were dealt this hand. None of us asked to be. I was not. If I had the choice, would I have been born black or would I have been born white with the society that we're in? Right. None of us had a choice. We were born into these lives, but we do have a responsibility to acknowledge and validate. And we're and we're going to have to make that our final thought. Um, so thank you, Melissa, for thank you for all the guidance that you give and and the work that you're doing to make a difference um, and and all that you share in terms of our our wonderful program. Stay with us with Connections Radio Show. Continue on the journey with racial healing. Join us on the next uh, racial healing journey, which is going to be the first Saturday of the month in July. And we look forward to that time together. Have a great week. 